we're off to when we go on because okay. <laughs> i just feel Why? it feels more it feels more uh uh like it's a proper lead-in but like i was saying before cough syrup and beer do not mix <laughs> morning everybody welcome to red morning on this fine hot as balls saturday um <laughs> i guess the point here we're gonna switch to it i know i know I am still able to do Caesars because Great Lakes have this wonderful weather pattern where it's hot as balls for three days and then it dumps rain to cool everything off. So, uh, <laughs> hey, Highborn, it's good to see you finally live. But Carl, I hear you're not doing you're not doing a Bloody Mary this morning. How have you been? What's on the go? No, it's uh, too fucking hot for Bloody Mary. So I went. I switched over to mojitos. <laughs> nice. But how you been? What's on your mind? I don't know, man. I'm not sure where to begin this week. I mean, I love our audience and, you know, some of you guys are really switched on, but goddamn, I mean, there are levels of Spurg and some guys seem to have dialed it to fucking 11 lately. It's like, you see comments like, you guys say with the learn game. What the fuck does that even mean? Do I have to buy a bunch of board games? Do I have to sit down and kill Sephiroth a few more times? Do I why do I have to learn fucking Monopoly to get some pussy? Why can't someone just tell me every step that goes into getting inside a girl, up to and including that awkward uh, post-one-night-stand cuddle where you're not sure if she actually wants a cuddle or does she want distance and how much aftercare? And, you know, what the hell do you do if she starts crying? Like, I'm, I'm starting to get why David D'Angelo had, like, a 10-minute fucking segment on one of his... Uh, Boot camps back in the day on how to wash yourself properly in the shower. It's like David D'Angelo, the original washer penis. And, you know, that they did, it wasn't like a small thing either, like use good soap. It was more like, okay, you have to make sure to use soap and carefully wash each body part at least three times because it's very difficult to get off all the grime and sweat with only a quick washover. And it's like, are we going to have to start doing that? I mean, will we have to do a red morning on how to properly wash in the shower? It's like, have a, have a big, like, schism between the two of us on which fucking loofah to use? Like, <laughs> like half our audience goes with me because they think loofahs are for faggots, and the other half goes with you because, like, only an idiot doesn't use a loofah. And, you know, you have to remember, please remember to vector fucking loofah. And... You know, guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this shit, but human interactions are messy. It's like there's no perfect strategy guide to 100% perfect completion of anything that involves human beings for a reason. I mean, humans are kind of fucking random. Like, I could teach you the London day game model, but even then, I'm sure someone would fuck that up. Like, first there is the stop, but I mean, what the fuck is a stop? Well, you know, you stop the girl on the street. Yeah, but how do I stop her? Do I wave my hands? Do I hold up a stop sign? <laughs> I can't afford to buy a stop stop sign because my life coach charges me 300 an hour to read my chakras and call me a faggot. Like, okay, when you see a girl, make eye contact, approach her at a 45 degree angle from the front and make sure she knows that you're coming. The guy's like, what do you mean make eye contact? Well, you look at the girl in the ass. Yeah, but what if she's cross-eyed? Which eye do I pick? What if she's wearing sunglasses? God, this game shit doesn't work. Fuck it, I'm learning MBTI. I hear girls smell nice, and I'm going to start running Joe Biden game. <laughs> I can t 
tell you to read the Rational Mail and, you know, Bang and Hartiste and Ironwood, all good stuff. But, I mean, it can get confusing because despite what certain horoscope proponents who talk like Bakken and think like an unmedicated schizophrenic will tell you, the red pill is really contextual and nuanced. It's not a one-size-fits-all in practice. That's why Mystery ended up with like 47 mental breakdowns on different points over his oneitis. I mean, it's called the descriptive praxology for a reason, and those content creators who actually understand why, it's very difficult to give prescriptions beyond like really basic shit, like don't look like crap, don't eat like shit, don't act like shit, and don't do dumb shit. Then again, from, from like a moral perspective, if I'm going to be really ethical about this, if I have to tell a man not to eat paint chips, is it really moral of me to enable them to reproduce? Or would it be better if you just kind of chlorinated the gene pool a little bit right there? Like, <laughs> it, it depends a lot on what are you and what do you want? Like figuring out what you want depends on actually spending time getting to know yourself and having an idea of what you want your life to look like. I'm not saying you have to have everything figured out. I mean, none of us do. And I don't really care what you want to be. I mean, hell, if you want to get fat, marry a single mom, get locked up, adopt the kid she had, had with Tyrone while you were in lockup, and just sit around eating crayons all day, I don't really give a shit if that's what you want your life to look like. And, you know, I get it. Figuring out what you want is hard. And it's especially hard if you, like, never leave your house. You spend all day on Twitter banging on about how great you are on Twitter. But not getting out there and not taking the good with the bad, it won't help you develop a personality. And, you know, you can always tell those people who've spent way too much fucking time alone and never, you know, going out there because they turn very, very crazy because they, they're just walking around in their own head all day and they never have any kind of reality feedback on, okay, dude, that's a little bit too spurgy. Can you dial it back to an 87? And, you know, I, some of these guys are like four-year-olds. It's like, hey, li hey little Jimmy, want to try some of Dad's pate? Jimmy no like pate. Did you ever taste it? No, but I know I don't, no, but I know I don't like it. But you have these guys who's bought, who bought coaching from every guy they can in the Soyosphere, plus courses and books. And, you know, thank you for buying Gendernomics and Building Value, by the way, now available in audio format. I really appreciate you supporting me, myself, and other men trying to make a difference. However, sometimes you get these guys and they're like the male version of the 35-year-old single no-kids corporate bitch. It's like they give you a resume like I'm working on a million, got my six-pack game down, approaching the 1.2k powerlifting total, visited 18 countries in 14 days, got my MBTI uh, game down, I read every book ever written on game, I watched the entire 21 hours of David D's deep inner game, and I even suffered through that train wreck of a boot camp style called the Annihilation Method because it annihilated the will to live of every motherfucker who paid like 3K for that shit. <laughs> and then you ask them some simple questions like, why did you buy that? And what was your goal by doing that? And the answers always end up being these non-committal, abstract kind of spins and rationalizations for why they did it. And there's just no reasoning behind it. Like, <laughs> this space is filled with grifty motherfuckers who are more than happy to tell you everything that's wrong with you and how you're supposed to be a high-value man in their eyes. I mean, their prescriptions is usually like, be me, which is reflected in their feeds because it's so self-centered and solipsistic. It's all about their life and what they're doing. 
And it's very rarely about, you know, who they used to be, how they moved forward, the steps they took. And Rick said it the best, like, wouldn't you want to trade lives with these guys? And, you know, I wouldn't. And I don't think most men do either. And this space is full of guys who will tell you what's wrong with you and are then happy to sell you the illusion of a fix. It's like Microsoft selling you Windows, then charging you 297 bucks for the service pack to fix all the bugs they ship the software with. And you know, to make it worse, let's say despite the fact that we have one-eyed men shilling courses and coaching to blind men on how to pass eye exams, once you do make it past that eye exam by the skin of your fucking balls, these same motherfuckers and a bunch of other motherfuckers are happy to line up and tell you what exactly what's wrong with what you're doing and what you should do now, now that there's less shit wrong with you. It's like someone selling you a course on how to make a million dollars, otherwise you're a soy cock whose wife just got gangbanged by a team of basketball players she rented off don't be dot soy. And <laughs> make that fucking million, they donate it all to whatever pet charity they have, like the Salvation Army or Save the Environment or Marrying a Single Mom. Like, they sell you and do a ton of work for a result. In spite of the odds, you get those results, and now you don't even get to enjoy them. It's like learning game, but once you get the girl wet, wild, and ready to take dick in your place, a fucking pastor shows up like, young man, you are ruining nice-smelling women. Put a ring on it first. All the while, the chick is screaming for you to dick her down, so the priest bites the bullet and dicks her down in front of you while selling you a $500 membership to the How to Get Married and Be a Virtuous Man Club. And you know whose fucking fault this shit is? Like, I'll accept my share of the blame as someone who should have done a better job at gatekeeping and, you know, trying to warn about some of these people instead of, you know, just letting it slide and let, leaving it up to the audience to figure it out. And... Mostly, though, it's kind of the audience's fault. Like, the audience don't know what to do. They don't know when to do it. They don't, sure as shit don't know why they're doing it, but they want to do it. So they are sheep looking for a shepherd. So they pay for moral advice from Charles Manson. They get some masculinity advice from Liberace. Mm. They get some fitness advice from the cake boss. And then maybe if they luck out, they'll get some relationship advice from Chris Benoit. And finally, you know, to become the leader of men, they uh, they go and get a leadership course for a man whose only leadership experience was when he led a bunch of other fat dudes to storm a cheesecake factory. Cheesecake factory. I can't believe you tapped into the Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck vetting your woman. Vet your fucking advisors. Like, this is why you need to know what you want and why you want to do it, because then we can actually help you. It's like a great sign for not to deal with a person or buy anything from a person is when they start by telling you why you should do something. That's something you should have to figure out on your own. Once you get that down, by all means, find a guy who can bridge the gap from starting state to desired future state with concrete objective results based information. Like, here's how you go from point A to point B. But if a guy starts off by insulting you, then offers a product so he'll stop insulting you, that's not self-improvement that's a fucking protection racket it's like i don't want a hundred thousand carls running around there it means more competition in my niches and more expensive drinks i want <laughs> guys to make the lives they want to live not the lives other men think they should live i mean this is kind of what we mean by mental point of origin like what the hell do you want and you may not even have to come up with a good why but if you know roughly what you want to do the explanation for why will come as it goes but 
at least, you know, at least avoid ending up in the position where like your life is like one long episode of man versus food, because that's not a good look on anyone. <laughs> I don't know, man. The Chris Benoit line. That one had me in stitches. I'm like, I probably shouldn't be laughing at that one. <laughs> if you guys don't know, you can look that one up, but it's a, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's like, I understand where a lot of these guys are coming from because like they've been, they've kind of followed that blue pill prescription their whole lives. Yeah. Then they finally get that kick to the fucking balls they need to uh, move forward. And then they, they're they kind of lost as to where do I go from here? Because like the whole reason why the blue pill is so insidious, it has tentacles into all aspects of your life. So once you have to start reevaluating, you have to reevaluate most of your ego. Oh, I agree. And if you've had nothing but your parents or girls in your whole life, I had one client married for almost 20 years and uh was getting divorced and he realized then like i don't know what to do when it doesn't involve like whatever she tells me to do it's why i love i love and it's very negative advice when we say like what is or isn't masculinity if I've, I've noticed correctly that you and i both pretty much talk about what isn't because if you don't know what you do want at least getting rid of what you don't want is a nice first start while you figure it out yeah, it's one of those things like uh, like you had some great stuff on vetting this week. Mm -hmm. And we kind of have different points on it because I, I think vetting is marketing. It's been because what what guys call vetting your woman is basically yeah. getting to know her. And, you know, that's kind of that's so the fact that that has to be given as advice is flabbergasting to me. Oh, dude. See, I think that's the part we disagree on. A lot of people use uh, vetting and boundaries interchangeably, but I don't like it. I mean, obviously I can just rehash the points there, but the big one was people are talking about a value system, but like you said, they were just sheep and looking for a shepherd. So what value system do they use? They ask other people. And so can they not be surprised when those values end up not benefiting them and they benefit other people? No, exactly. And I think a big part of that comes also to your very good point. And by the way, a study at one point in time is called cross-sectional. Yeah, I saw that. I don't want to be too pedantic, so I keep it plebby. So, keep the language uh, plebby. Well, the whole thing I was thinking about that exact point earlier today when I was mixing a drink. And, you know, if you're wondering why I drink, well, I spend way too much time in the manosphere. I mean, I have to take the edge off somehow. <laughs> it's either that or sucking dick or passing your wife around you got to do one of the three right yeah something like that <laughs> um so, what was that yeah the whole point with it is let's say you're vetting a woman when you're 18 she's 18 and you're kind of betting her towards a marriage mm -hmm. and let's say you do that for three years so you really know this girl and then you get married and you buy a house together. That introduces financial stuff you've never dealt with before. Plus all the stuff that has to be done around a house that you generally don't have to do in an apartment. Then you uh, put a baby in her. Then she's going to be moody, pregnant, and bitchy for the next nine months. I actually had a guy who told me that women are unbearable when they're pregnant to make sure the guy will stick around after she gives birth. 
<laughs> if, a guy, if a guy can stick around through a woman's nine months of mood swings, he's in it for the long haul. But then you have kids, and that's a new variable you have to deal with, and you have in-laws that you have to deal with. And you have to start dealing with school. And then over time, I think that's why some of the uh, more relationships that start with older people, like two people in their 50s who find each other, are more stable. Just because those people have done most of the changing they're going to do for their whole life. Yeah, and they're too old to have those same narcissistic masks. They don't have that year to, to wait it out. They tend to be a little more honest, which, you know, that's why you also get some of the angriest women tend to be those 45, 50-year-old middle-aged apex predators. Yeah, actually, I saw a funny show on that because there, there was a show on TV at some point where it's like they film people's first dates. Mm -hmm. It's like blind first dates. And it was very interesting when you got a couple of people who were like in their 60s or 70s even. Because oh. they would just put it all out there like, I have my own shit. I want to go visit my grandkids when I want to. I go fishing every Thursday with an old buddy. And that's how this is going to work. But it would be nice if you could come over and play canasta on Tuesdays. And it's just very straightforward. Like, this is my life. Can you fit into that? And how well do they do? The 60s and 70s actually do pretty well. But, like, there's no game there. But that's because old men don't have the patience for game. They have I'm Alive game. <laughs> well, I think I made a point of that in one of our DM chats. Like, when you get into your 50s and 60s, and I'm not that old myself, but demographically speaking, the amount of men who are left when they hit 60, who are in reasonably good shape, reasonably taken care of, don't have massive, massive amounts of baggage and problems, and who can actually get hard, there are not a lot of them left. Oh, yeah, it's the ultimate, uh, oh, did I get it right? Red ocean? Or is it the blue ocean? Blue ocean. Yeah, it's the ultimate blue ocean. <laughs> because, like, you have more women than men who live to that age. And, you know, the pickings for the women at that age are pretty slim. Even younger, you can go 20 years younger. Guys in their 50s get girls in their 30s who doesn't seem to have any issue. Or 36, like a 36-year-old looks amazing to a 50-year-old. To a 20-year-old, she looks horrible, but that's the beauty of it. Well, here, and I was thinking, sorry, back to our normal thing here. We're talking about the vetting and that. Here's the problem I have with that, even assuming that the values are good and straight up and helpful towards you. You said yourself, get a girl, wait three years. Here's the problem I notice. Most people that vet, they have like a 12-month timeline. So they literally, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but it fits under that timeline of how long it would take somebody to shed that narcissistic mask. So it's almost like you don't want to find out that it's over because two, three years would make sense. It's hard to keep up appearances for two, three years. Um, you're right that changing life circumstances change people. A little bit of stressors, uh, a house, children, all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. If these guys, if you're buying a house to test or to vet your woman, that's the exact opposite of being your own mental point of origin. You're doing something to get a reaction out of her. And while I can't, I don't have enough experience or field reports of guys buying houses and investing in their women to see what their reactions are. It just does not jive with our idea of that healthy level of narcissism or treating yourself as the main character of your story even. So I just can't get behind it as a, as a strategy. 
Even if it does work, which I don't even know if it does. That's the thing. It's guesswork. Well, I'm not that my whole issue with it is the timeline and also like how real how large are the odds that someone could actually fail your betting process? Oh, they never do. That's the thing. You want them to pass, so of course you're gonna find a way to make them pass. Just ignore the things and pay attention to the other things. And wow, they pass your rigorous vetting screening method. <laughs> the only way to make that work is if you make that betting process so structured and objective that it becomes impossible for you to lie to yourself to get the outcome you want. How would that even look though? Short short of having like your village elder decide it for you or your parents decide it for you or arrange a marriage. I don't think it's possible to get even close to an objective. And even if you did, it would be so unattractive that it would repel the kind of woman that you even want to conduct that with. Yeah, so I I say do the betting to the point where as somebody in the chat said that Sean Smith says 18 months, I would probably say at least 24, yeah. maybe 36. And I won't even quibble over the months at that point. We're like past 12. We can all agree on that. And it's also one of those things when, uh, because they say that, you know, um, cohabitation relationships break up easier than marriages. And my and you know i get that because it's a bigger step to file for a divorce and go through all of that as opposed to you know kicking the girl out of your place but it's um it's a difficult thing to do because uh maybe that's a sign that cohabitation relationships are more to have stronger boundary enforcement and people realize they're unhappy sooner because they don't have that entire social pressure to stay married Oh, yeah, I hate that. People keep talking about the relationship longevity as if that's the, the success metric. Like, I've seen enough completely dead bedroomed marriages or people that just can't stand each other but stick around because it's easier than not. Like, you're trying to tell me that that's better than people parting ways when they aren't happy anymore? Like, fuck you, man. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. I agree with you. And that was, I think that was, uh, who was your buddy who signed up for Twitter this week? Who was, uh... oh, why more, please? <laughs> yeah, that guy was setting some fires, and one of his things was, uh, your metrics suck. <laughs> and metrics suck, exactly. and you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually one of those great uh, points, because, like, you can... Guys make up these metrics by themselves. Mm -hmm. And they use, like you said, relationship longevity. Like, if the relationship lasted for 60 years, that's the goal. Well... No, it's, were you happy for those years or were you absolutely fucking miserable for 50 of them? Mm -hmm. Because if you were miserable and the girl you were with was miserable for 50 years, I wouldn't say that's a successful relationship. Nope. Sounds good on paper. It's a great metric if you aren't paying attention. It's an awesome metric if the, your mom hates your asshole ex or ex-father and complains about him constantly. That's the other thing. So all these values, and i re going over the the same ground here the guy and this is a bit into the rollo territory you get these guys their parents divorced so mom just badmouths dad all day so that's filling his head with all her nonsense which isn't even true it's just she hates him then he goes to school all the male teachers have been flushed out of the system because everybody's worried about them being pedos so for the kid's first 16 17 years he's had nothing but women fill his head with female nonsense and then he's going to have a value system out of there that's going to benefit him as a man? Like, come on. 
garbage in, garbage out. Like, yeah, your metrics suck. Of course they suck. Nobody, nobody who had your best interests at heart helped you develop them at all. And the Americans used to have the church for that too, but no, now the church is to... going full single mom. Oh, what were you saying? Yeah, and I had this. Uh, I had a thing about this in. Uh, no, I had a thing about this in my essay this week. I called it something as good as reality testing. But what it deals with is really reality versus fantasy. Yeah. And my view of gating in this space is that the ultimate gate was always how useful is your content in helping men build the lives they want. But that gates get eroded when you start to introduce non-quantifiable success metrics. What about like, love, Carl? Lifting. What about love? <laughs> exactly. But, but lifting is quantifiable. Approaches are quantifiable. Number of closest dates, kiss closest, fuck closest, and notch counts are quantifiable. How good of a man you are, how God-fearing you are, how much you contribute to the maintenance of Western civ, those are not quantifiable. Those are, at best, qualitative value judgments. And they make you feel good, but that's about it. And I think that's kind of what a lot of guys who come here want. They want the rush of telling everyone they're going to go to the gym and lose 50 pounds and getting the likes, but they don't want to stop eating pizza. Oh, yeah. Whatever you're doing right now is the manliest thing you could possibly do. Never mind that manhood and masculinity are vague container words anyway. Whatever you're doing right now is perfect. Come on, let's go Let's go screw around on the weekends, shoot some guns, because that's manly, because gunpowder is manly, because women don't like it. It's that weird... And this is the part, and feminism is just as bad for this too. I think men need it more than women do. Because men are totally lost. They don't know what it means to be a man. And by the fact that this blue-haired chick is saying, your toxic masculinity, it like gives him, well, at least it's masculinity. And it's annoying. Because if guys didn't listen, feminists wouldn't exist. We talk about the war on feminism all we want. Just not listening to their bullshit is the easiest way to kill that war instantly. Yeah, and also stop reacting to their bullshit. Mm, that one's even more important. Because it's, well, it's the same thing as I'm having with the, you know, the outrage marketing. So that some guys like to use. And it's, mm -hmm. as long as they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't successful on some level. So, <laughs> hey, Hunter. <laughs> He's making fun of my Sig Sour Qualls, which aren't very good. <laughs> Oh, well, sorry, can, I'm interrupting you. Go on. No, but you can get yourself a gun truck on um, Don't Be Dot Soy. I'm sure that will help. Yeah. Oh, hey, uh, one sec. Sponk Medonk. Awesome name, by the way. No, it's not Hawaiian Punch. I'm drinking full up electrolytes right now because I was sick as shit. And then I found that coughs, uh, Buckley's cough syrup and beer were a horrible mix. So right now I'm trying to re re rehydrate. Yeah, the blue the color means health. What's that? Well, maybe we should start. We should start with that as our new thing. Instead of don't eat paint, don't don't drink Buckley's cough syrup. <laughs> Stop getting drunk off a of cough syrup. Nobody likes lean. Lean masculinity. <laughs> uh, you see that as a joke, but give it two weeks, and some guy will be pushing that in his Twitter feed, and uh, we'll make a bank off the affiliate sales. Oh, yeah. Well, you remember, uh, I think it was like a year ago. Do you remember that phase where every Manosphere guru was suggesting smoking for to be a man and up your tea? Yeah. That one drove me nuts. I don't know. I don't get triggered much off stuff, but like for those who don't know, my dad died of emphysema when he was 54. 
So watching him hooked up to an oxygen tank and people telling me that you need to start smoking cigarettes just sets me right off. I'm like, there was even a post on Reddit in this where some guy was, uh, he's saying, just because the enemy of my, the enemy of my enemy doesn't mean it's my friend. If, and he was using like liberals at the time, because Americans, everything has to be about liberals and progressives. But uh, just because everybody told you not to smoke doesn't mean fuck you, I'm a man and you get to smoke and that makes it worthwhile. Sometimes the enemy of my enemy is just another enemy. And it was part of what you were talking about, sheep looking in search of a shepherd. If they don't find a shepherd, they just do what the opposite of the other flock was doing, and they think that's good enough. Well, it's, yeah, it's one of those dumb things, like, uh, same thing with my joke that, you know, if you make physique the be-all, end-all of the red pill, yeah. then eventually all the uh, top guys are going to be the guys who are on trend, and they're just going to tell all other guys to get on trend. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. You remember bodybuilding in the 70s was perfect. Pinnacle of the sport. And then they treated mass above all. And that's when you hit the Dorian Yates years and beyond where it just became the Belgian cow, the Belgian cow show off. Ruined female bodybuilding. I'd say it ruined male bodybuilding. Not to, you know, they did a lot of work. They put a lot of work into it, but like the aesthetics were completely gone. And was it Wielder who said, once the gays stop showing up, that's when you know the sport's done. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, and that's. But it comes back to the same idea. Like, uh, <laughs> instead of figuring out what masculinity means for you and kind of defining it for yourself, you adopt these piecemeal masculine identity things, and that's why I think that was the dumbest thing the Reddit ever did. What's that? That that was adding that little tagline, a positive identity for men. Oh yeah, masculine identity for men. Because at that point, you've just opened the door wide. At that point, Ebola just jumps in and starts screaming at you. Yeah, and that's the problem. I kind of get it, but I I guess that's because yeah, if you take it literally, you're right. Ebola and gamma male shit just jumps right out at you, but. Like, I took it to mean there's no positive influences for men out there. There's no Michael Jordan posters on the wall, which probably is my fault for not reading it properly. I read between the lines when I should have just read what's in front. But yeah, it needs more articulation because identity can't come first. You have to put identity after the actions you took to get it. And that's why I like the, the married red pill thing. For most guys, when there's this weird category of field reports where guys will basically write down a happened, then B happened, then C happened, and I did D, E, and F. How did I do? And it's the most ridiculous field report ever because easiest answer to give is, okay, well, what did you want? And they don't have an answer. They literally just hand you their life and ask you to give them a score out of 10. And I go, well, it depends. Like, what's your goal? If you don't have a goal, there's no way of knowing if what you did is good or bad. And that just opens the door to you post hoc rationalizing everything is perfect. And you as the greatest guy on earth. I just like to think that identity is bottom up, not top down. Yeah, bottom up, top down. It's a bit of a negotiation between the outside world and your inside world as well. I mean, you can call yourself the greatest, the greatest event coordinator in the Madosphere, but if nobody shows up to your conferences, then <laughs> all the inner game in the world ain't going to help that. <laughs> Hypothetically yeah. speaking. Yeah, well, that's a fair point. It just comes down to like... I. One of the things you get into is like guys will say the manosphere gives a lot of prescriptions in this descriptive praxology. But a lot of the things we throw out are 
kind of rules of thumb to help guys navigate. Yeah, hypothetical imperatives. So you get, we give you like, okay, you can, as long as you stay within this range here, roughly, it won't be too bad. Mm -hmm. So like the reason we came up with the thing for text game where, you know, you, you send her one text for every two she sends, then when she texts you, you wait the time it took her to respond plus for instance, 10 minutes plus minus a random in integer between one and 10 to make it that so it doesn't look like you're doing it on purpose it just looks like <coughs> and a lot of the time the reason when he came up with that was just a, what a lot of guys will do is they'll hang on to every text and the word vomit at her and by saying okay you respond with half as many messages half her length and you wait uh at least you know the time it took her to respond plus 10 minutes or something like that yeah that way they kind of seem like they have shit going on and they get some of that aloofness. Yeah, well, that was the pickup method to it, yeah. Yeah, and if you're a really busy guy, that comes naturally because you'll respond whenever you can. Mm -hmm. And I don't use that rule anymore just because I actually know how texting works now. Well, yeah, you internalize the rule. You don't have to. You don't have to study it. It's like riding a bike. You don't have to think left pedal, right pedal anymore because you just know how to cycle. Yeah, that's why I like because yeah, when you went from pickup to red pill, pickup was like text that do all those the two thirds rule. Red pill was just kind of all right. Well, then why do high quality guys do that? It's because they're busy. They have other dates, so go get some more dates, and then it'll flow naturally. But at the same time, they give you the training wheels when you start. That yeah. I like, but that's that's hypothetical. You're right. It's if you want to have good text game, then these are the things you can do to get there. If you don't, if you're one of the Texas logistics only guys, and that's me. None of that stuff applies to you. So it's not, and this is why it's not ideology, because you don't have to do any of that unless you want the goal that it's there to achieve. Well, you know, you, you've been out of the game for a while now, so you're probably not up on the texting, but like these days, Snapchat and um, Messenger and that stuff has become very important. Yeah, but those aren't texting. Those are images. No, they're also texts. Oh, I guess. Yeah, fine. Fair enough. So, and like, if you date a girl under 25 and you're not on Snap, then you're going to have to go into old man game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get her phone number and take her to the dance. <laughs> and call her on the phone and get her to uh, talk dirty to you on the phone. It's like the only time a girl ever calls me is if she's been out on town or something and she's walking home alone. And she wants to kind of avoid getting dragged into an alley or something. Oh, the just keep 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 talking on the line for a minute so it looks like there's somebody on the other end. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But even though I've been out of the game for a minute, but even I know about the Snapchat thing. Like I get all this stuff. That's why I love those field reports where guys talking about number closes. It's the one thing that lets me know that they're just making it up. Because the shoe boxes of phone numbers on napkins, that days are those days are over. Yeah, I even had a girl tell me because I, I actually like to get the phone number after I sleep with a girl if I want to see her again. That's nice. I guess that's that level of intimacy. You get just a bit closer to actual human connections when you have a phone yeah. number for some reason. Plus, I have a great line to get it. So, uh... Oh, yeah? Do you want to share or is that well, for I, close to your chest? I'll, I'll share it. It's uh, Usually it's after I've slept with her. 
So after, when you're doing the, uh, when she's about to leave or something, because I never let them stay over, it's because I have uh, crippling intimacy issues, according to some egg accounts and dating coaches on Twitter. <laughs> I guess I want to isn't good enough of an answer. There has to be a reason. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so the line I usually use is, you know, when, when she's about to leave and you're getting dressed, I just grab my phone and I'm like, I know this is kind of personal, but after I've been inside someone, I kind of like to get their phone number. <laughs> Dude, I love it. That statement has so much depth to it. <laughs> are, are we are we enough of a human connection yet that I can talk to you like a human being on a phone? <laughs> we did have sex after all. That's so like hooker stuff where it's yeah, we I like I'll I'll have sex, but I won't kiss you because that's too yeah, intimate. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if you guys have ever slept with a married girl, you're going to find that maybe not every time, but a lot of the time they have that don't kiss. Because for some reason, kissing is like that bridge too far. Yeah, I've had a lot of weird girl things about that. Like, I won't take off my shoes. Oh, that is a different one. Yeah. Mind you, I get the kissing one. That one, it's the same reason that, you know how guys don't like cheating because... Uh, the whole paternity, it's like inbred in our DNA. We don't like those kind of competitions. Girls don't mind the sex. It's the idea of getting an emotional connection with another person that's not her. That's what gets her. So I can see why they wouldn't like kissing. It's just funny how they project their insecurities onto the guy. Yeah, and I can kind of go off what Vinny was saying now with the... Uh, thank you for the super chat, by the way. Yeah, the 5R super chat. Hey, that's cool. 5Rs. <laughs> Isn't it bad to let masculinity definitions be that loose? Because this is how you got these guys doing feminine things and call it be a man too. Yeah, masculinity is just a container word. That's the problem with it. There is no, there's never going to be a set definition. I much prefer the answering the question like, what do you want? Now, as much as we rag on turd flinging monkey, he basically wants to have a sex doll and avoid women completely. Say what you will about him. You can agree or disagree, but he has a mission. He has a goal, and everything he has is focused on that one goal. So you can't fault him for that. In some way, I would kind of make him more of a man than these like very insecure guys that are finding fetishized symbols. Well, I just think it comes down. I think masculinity is defined in the same way the Supreme Court defined porn at one point. Oh, yeah. The, I know it when I see it. Yeah, and it's kind of the same thing there is, I think the ultimate thing with uh, with masculinity, it's going out and testing yourself against the world to get the outcome that you want. <laughs> Speaking of outcomes that we want, dude, I got a great woman. <laughs> I'm listening, keep going, I'm interrupting. Well, I just think that's ultimately uh, what it comes down to. It's... Um, of course, there are limits. Like, if you say, well, I really want to bang dudes, and banging dudes is, like, the most masculine thing ever, then we're going to have a bit of an issue because there are certain things that kind of play into it. Because I think that it's a lot like with the 1 to 10 scale. Right. Where I've actually come around to liking your definition that everything above 6 is an ego investment. Mm -hmm. And... That's just because there are every guy is going to have some things that fits his particular likes. 
course. So, but at the same time, though, we have a lot of things in common. So you're not going to have, like, one guy says a girl is a 10, and the other guy says she's a 1. See, that is a good point. Yeah, they're at least in the same ballpark. Yeah, so I, I might say a girl is like a five. You might think she's a six or a seven. But I'll never think she's a ten or a one. Yeah, and it's the same thing with masculinity, I think. it's um, There are some things we can all agree on. kind of goes into it. There are some things that are more individual. Then there are some things that are in a gray zone and some things that are in a no-go zone. Because whenever you talk about masculinity like that, I, I keep thinking back to a story uh, I heard a few years back because there were a couple of guys who were going to jump a gay dude and beat the crap out of him. Right. And he ended up beating the shit out of both of them. And as they're laying there in a ditch halfway knocked out, he yells at them, the only thing I love more than fucking dudes is kicking ass. <laughs> I like that. And you can say what you want about it, but it but it's masculine. Mm -hmm. So and Terrence Pop too, he did a great video on this. Where I think it was something with like gay points or something like that. I think I remember that one, yeah. Play play soccer, that's a plus two. And you get a certain number of those points before you cross over into a space where you have to start taking some actions. <laughs> I like that. Terrence is always good. Yeah, if you love drinking, you know, um, Mike's Hard Lemonade to Steal Hunter's example from uh, chat, uh, that's fine. If he likes drinking Mike's Hard Lemonade with an umbrella in it, in a gay bar, while wearing a dress, and performing a chorus line, that's a few too many points there. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. But you can go and enjoy a musical, but if you've been to more than three musicals in a week, that's too many points. Yeah, I can buy all this stuff. Because... I just, I just think that's what it comes down to. It's like you have a certain kind of like middle line and then you have deviations. And, you know, every guy has a few of those. Like some guy might love wine a little bit too much. Some guy might drink his coffee with his pinky sticking out. Is that what I do? No, that, that wasn't a punch <laughs> on you. I wish you did that. That would give me some more material. Yeah, I'm all I'm all back to like normal white Henleys and stuff. You got nothing to make fun of. I'll buy some more Hawaiians, I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to make fun of a white Henley unless you have a hood on. Yeah. Um yeah, I was gonna say too, for those masculinity markers, the two I always like going back to, and they're I would love to find more examples or why these ones are wrong, but sex and violence. I think uh Cernovich calls it danger and play, and there's a whole bunch of other references to it, but I like it because it's the only things that you can do that are masculine in the sense that women can't really do them, but they involve you dealing with the outside world. Like you can't do it inside your head. Being able to have sex with women is something that only men can do, and you have to be good at it, or you can't do it. Same thing with violence. If you want to get into a fight or work out or just be capable of intimidating a guy to avoid violence. That's the kind of thing you can't LARP. It's like you said, it's kicking ass is the only thing I like better than sucking dick. 
And so I like those two, which also makes sense why lifting is seen as such an important part of this space. Because it really does tap it like lifting and running game. Because those are the two things you can do that have effects that you just can't hide. You can't hide from failure or success from. Just about everything else I find to be fungible. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the, the fungibility of it is like you can go to the range and fire at targets. Mm -hmm. And that might enable you to handle a gun and fire at targets. But it doesn't in and of itself make you more or less of a man. I agree. Because like I have a guy who's uh, he's a former uh, spec ops guy, and he goes to the range twice a week just to like keep his skills sharp. But then you have guys who they go to the range once a month and they feel drink beer and hang out with their buddies, and it's just kind of it's not a part of their life. It's something they do to uh, lark for lack of a better word. Yeah. Or and if we want to be charitable, it's a hobby. But it's but it's it ceases becoming a hobby and starts to become LARPing when guys use that to make that positive male identity. Yeah, I think martial arts is another good one because like learning how to fight and you're also putting yourself in the external world to be tested and you're taking a risk. And I think that's the old, if I had to define masculinity in like a sentence, it would be testing yourself against the world and during risk to get what you want. That's a good one. I like that. It's too poetic. It'd be too easy to LARP something out of that, but I do like it. It's very accurate. Well, because if you go back and you like, you take, let's say we took one of the, took a random dude and we dumped him back in on the savannah a hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. He's going to have to constantly be aware and present in his world or he gets eaten by a lion or he doesn't find water or he doesn't get food. Oh, agreed. To sleep with and now stub the toe and dies of dysentery. And so now we've kind of made everything so easy that we have to create our own hardships. <coughs> and it's the same thing I say with you know things like camping. Like mm -hmm. if you go back like a hundred years, no one pretty much went camping because that's what part that was part of their fucking job for a lot of people. Yeah, camping was you couldn't afford a house yet. <laughs> yeah, or camping was uh, you worked as a ranch hand and you had to go, you know, 15 miles out from the uh, main part of the ranch to fix fences. So you had to sleep out there and you happened to have a good buddy working with you. And one night in the tent, it gets a little, little tense and you end up banging and they make a movie about it 100 years later. See, minus the gay part you just mentioned, I've actually done that. Every year we had to chase our cows up to the range so they could eat up there while we grew hay. And I slept many a night on a rock with a salt lick to keep me company. So I'm the same as you. Like, no, no, no. I'll take I'll take air conditioning any day. Any day. The camping just doesn't I think that's the thing though. You have to be living in a city your whole life to think to romanticize camping. Yeah, it's the same thing with people who go and buy food and they have no idea that the cow had to die. <laughs> oh my god i didn't realize that there are people that do think that they don't think chicken is an animal they have no idea how their food comes to their table and they've never had to kill anything have they and for a lot of i think the reason why we just end up having to have philosophical debates about how you define masculinity 
It's just that it's not required of us anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably why we actually have the time. <laughs> it's almost a luxury to be able to have the time to navel gaze about what it takes to be you. It's almost <laughs> like a gift. <laughs> Think about that. Nobody else before 1947 had that issue. They were too busy not dying. Yeah, I think that's the, kind of the, what it comes down to. And I think that's why the whole mental point of origin becomes such a huge discussion, too. It's that you didn't have time to ask why or what do I want uh, before it, because you just kind of had to do something. Otherwise, you didn't eat. Otherwise, you died. Otherwise, you know, I love the story of like 14-year-old boys being sent to uh, France to help pick out arrows at the Battle of Agincourt. Oh, Yeah. I forgot about that. All the old wars used to have that guys walking around scavenging war supplies. Yeah, and you know, ten-year-old boys being the drummer boys for the uh, armies during the Civil War. They grew up fast. That's why you saw all those photos of guys at eight years old smoking cigarettes. They seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> ah, there you go. Now I'm feeling good. This took a Caesar and a salad to get me going. And then electrolytes. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, mental point of origin. What do I want? If guys could, honestly, this space would be a six-month road uh, check stop for every man. If he came in knowing, what is it I want? If he could articulate that to something, I guarantee you he would make a lot more, a lot more uh, progress. He would be able to tell the snake oil from the good guys. And he would basically move on. Because this is it's one of the few... I don't even want to call it an industry, but I can't think of a better word to describe it, this space. But this is the only industry where the end goal should be to remove as many customers as you can as quickly as possible. Yeah, the problem becomes that the Venusphere has somewhat gone through a lot of inflation. Because like when, when we started with the seduction community, it was just about teaching guys game and giving them like the, the extreme basics of things. So you had like, okay, you do kind of have to do something about your look. Okay, you do have to get a better haircut. Like, for God's sakes, fix those teeth. Like simple things like that, because those were like major barriers to success. Right. But as the sphere has grown and a lot of people have their income being dependent on it, they're, they can't kick customers out anymore. So instead of Telling a guy, sorry, I can't help you any anymore. You're ready to go and fight Darth Vader, uh, the young Skywalker. They raised the bar and moved the goalposts a little bit. So it used to be like the big thing about, like, let's say looks back in the day. Yeah. It used to be the complete advice was don't be fat. Don't and be the fat. For that is, yeah. Well, once you get fat, you, a lot of, you don't look good, and you're going to have to overcome your fatness with your game and with other things. But then, as we kind of evolved, it became, you know, 10% body fat, ripped, shredded, fitness model looks. Chiseled jaw after surgery. Yeah. Which is the weirdest thing ever, man. That jaw surgery crap that guys are talking about now, it boggles the mind. Like, do you really think that's all it takes, and then you're going to be perfect? They're lying to themselves, hundred percent. What's that? No, what I think that? that's kind of the slippery slope because it, and Troy had a great uh, tweet about it too. It's like 
I, most guys don't want to be a millionaire. They just want to make like 70, 80 K and not have to sit in an office all day and not, not have to fucking commute. Yeah. It's honestly, when I was making 80, 90, hundred, once I got to that level, all my stuff was paid for. All the bills were paid. I had more than enough going towards investments and retirement stuff. I just started buying goofy shit because I was so angry and irritated during work commutes that I just needed to buy something to to enjoy the off time I had. A lot of time it was booze too, so I don't see why you would want to have to get more than that. If you want it, fine. It just makes no sense to me. Didn't make me more of a man though. Yeah, but the whole thing is you have to move that goalpost and create more and more very hard to reach goals to keep guys around for longer. Which is such a scarcity mindset too. If you think about it, it's not like how many guys, if we take the, the Pareto principle of sacrosanct, how many guys are that, what did you refer to it? Seven or eight years behind the curve when it comes to the sexual marketplace? At least 20% of guys out there. Does that that's like an infinite pool of guys? There's a billion Western people. If there's a couple hundred million of them, do you think we're gonna run out of space anytime soon? Even if you take all of our assume that none of our follower counts on all of our social media platforms are at all connected and they're all separate people, add it all together, you're not even touching, not even touching that 20% of the bottom of the barrel types. And that's not, and that's not even including normal guys that just need a little bit of help. That six-month barrier, I find it horribly, horribly short-sighted, horrible scarcity mentality to think that you need to keep these ten guys that you have right now happy and make them do all kinds of stupid goalpost jumping. I don't know where the point of this was going. It was just irritating. Well, the whole point with goalpost was getting to our other issue there with perfection. Oh it's yeah, that you have to be perfect, and you know. The way these two are linked is that if you define your own mental point of origin, then you realize that perfection is A, unattainable, and B, not needed. But if you let someone else define your mental point of origin, and especially if there's multiple people all selling you different products, mm -hmm. then you're going to have to try and be perfect in 15 different areas. And nobody has time for that, but you're going to be paying them for eternity in, for the promise that you might get their one day young grasshopper. Yeah, they never make it. I don't let, and that taps into the same thing as uh, we were talking about with vetting. You're trying to get perfect on somebody else's values. You're never going to reach it. Even if you have your own values. Because then you end up lying to yourself or rationalizing. Because if you've invested two years in betting a girl and then have to start over, that's a massive sunk cost thing you have to deal with. Oh, yeah. Your ego won't let that happen. Your ego will hide all kinds of crap from you. No, no. She's perfect. Trust me. How do you know that? Well, that shit she did yesterday, that didn't count. Oh, in that case, let me wife her up. Adopt her kid. <laughs> Tyrone yeah, Jr., so. you and I, let's go. We're going yeah. to get some ice cream because that's what men do. <laughs> we're <going fishing. laughs> yeah, we're going fishing. <laughs> Here's a gun. Start shooting at the fish because that's what men do. Dynamite fishing. <laughs> oh, wow. Do they? Oh, I guess in the States they do that. Do they have that in Europe anymore or have they pretty much banned that? No, like it's here? pretty much banned everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 
damn Yanks. I know there's somebody in Florida who still does it, I guarantee. Well, that's the thing with the states. I mean, they're like uh, 80 years behind everyone else on sensible regulations. And we're not even like talking extreme regulations, just like, okay, if you're going to sell a dietary supplement and you say it contains the extract of some plant, that plant should actually be in that bottle. Yeah, it's, and I get their whole, I don't trust the government thing, but I'm with you at some point. There's like, there's sane levels of expectations. The whole point of the government being there is to, is to keep the sociopaths from running things. And in that case, yeah, because didn't they, doesn't that how they invented their FDA was guys where uh, sausage companies were like sweeping rats and stuff into the thing because they didn't want to bother cleaning it up properly? I have no idea why they started it, but you do kind of need some level of, you need control mechanisms to prevent the absolute sociopaths from taking advantage of the dumb cuts. Yeah. And for the most part, I'm all in favor of, you know, getting the dumb people out of the gene pool. But at some point, the sociopaths become so good that the uh, people who fall for it start to become a large, large part of the population. Yep. And at that point, you have to do something. And that's why you get things like um, regula regulations for media companies or, you know, antitrust laws. Because at some point, some sociopath is going to figure out how to take advantage of a large part of your population. And that's going to negatively influence not only the economy, but the trust in your society. And once that trust is eroded, you don't have a society. Oh, I agree. Just that lack of inter institutional trust is the only reason this space even exists. I mean, psychologists, the APA has basically ruined the public trust. So, of course, they're going to have a bunch of guys sitting in, you know, their house who read up on game, giving guys psychological advice, because at least it's more trustworthy. The guy comes from experience. Uh, doctors is another one. Everybody thinks doctors are scientists, but now you have to go to like private clinics or talk to guys who have been on testosterone to find out there. It's a weird, it's weird because I can see everybody talks about we don't want to lose the trust. The trust is already gone. The fact that we exist is proof of that. Yeah, but then you also have to keep in mind that the guys have a certain level of trust in the manosphere as an institution as well, because it has a reputation of actually giving and helping guys and getting guys results. Yeah, well, that's why I thought we were talking about the FDA thing. I thought that was a, I thought that was a metaphor for the this space and the manosphere and us oh, being better baykeepers. Oh. <laughs> oh, it is. I'm just put, making it very clear because I think that's the major issue now is that once you start to include all this other stuff that do not give you results or that type of thing, then you're the water. Yeah, muddies the waters and it ruins the trust in this space. And once the trust in this space is gone, where the hell are men supposed to go down? This is like That's the last bastion. Yeah. I, I Dude, I've said that same thing. Everybody's mad at these incel shooters and that we caused them. Like, dude, we're the last line of defense here. We don't even want to be. It just happened to be. It'd be a scary thing if uh, the entire, I really need a new name, but if the entire manosphere kind of shut down because of some idiots really destroying the trust of the, the trust of it, what little trust we have. I know Rolo's got an absolute shit ton of guys who have not committed suicide because they've actually read his book and gotten some value from it. And there's a success metric for you. You know, it's masculine, not putting a gun in your mouth.
Oh, did I lose you there for a bit, Carl? Oh, my turn. He's going to be right back. Um, Going through the chat. So I kind of read it. I know one of you guys complained that my uh, camera was in too tight, so I had to back up a bit until I can get myself a uh, a wider lens. But that's it. Chesty had it right. It was the, the book called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And Kong, depends on the culture. Everybody loves saying culture is this, that, like working one way or the other. I don't think the culture matters as much as we think it does. I think it's like, I think it's like Linux. You can have a bunch of different flavors, but they're all generally the same. Like for example, a lot of the Middle Eastern countries now are affluent enough where diabetes is the biggest issue that they're coming up to. So when a guy in Dubai is having the same issues as a guy from backwater Mississippi, you can kind of tell that this is something that's a little bit lower level, a little bit core fundamental than, uh, than just culture. I mean, even my time in Oman, my driver at the time, he was just a driver. He just did that. He had himself a house, a nice Mercedes, but he liked driving because there everybody had to have some job as part of their self-worth. He was running game on chicks and burkas. Like, I don't know what to tell you at that point. If you can pick up those kind of girls with henna eye tattoos doing the same stuff we would do, it's basically a, an immutable law of human nature. Like, granted... When we say plausible deniability on our side, that means just, you know, not groping her in public. Over there, it meant, how did he put it? Uh, take, girls would put their phone numbers on top of racks in like a shopping area because they're always segregated male to female shopping areas. So they'd be on the side there, leave their number, walk away. The guy would walk up, grab it, or they'd, uh, they'd always leave their windows open to crack in their cars and girls would drop it in. And this is like the most fundamental Muslim community I've ever been to. And they're pulling this stuff. I know you're sick, but you could at least change your shirt this week. Oh, was I wearing the uh, was I wearing the white Henley last week too? That's too funny. I've got like six of these things. I really like wearing them. These and t-shirts, especially in this hot as balls summer weather. I tell you what, for you guys to start switching over to more of the uh, more of the long sleeves. Oh, many cultures, gun in mouth is actually manny is rationally stupid, but other cultures do think it's honorable. Yeah, that's a weird. I'm not gonna get into that stuff too much. I don't. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's really hard to uh, to talk about that and not get booted from YouTube or have some CNN reporter saying, look at these guys suggesting people put bullets in their heads. Like, no, it's not cool. And then it got me thinking, the gatekeeper mechanism. So we all kind of have a responsibility. I like to fluff you guys, but in reality, I mean, Carl's audiences, my audiences uh rollos everybody's kind of switched on and you guys get it like if you didn't get it there's obvious snake oil salesmen that really can't stand us that you'd be more than happy to go to if that was the case the thing is i don't know if that call out culture that uh numerology call out culture thing i don't think that's the way to go about it mostly because it just has too much of an ankle biting theme uh, the reason I trust you is that I confirmed most of my stuff against reality. I know I didn't read that right, but the spelling and the distance is a little bit killer. But yeah, that's that's really the key. The best gatekeeping mechanism we had, nice. Best gatekeeping mechanism we have is that we give our own field reports. People try the field reports. They reinforce the field reports. It's this convergent strategy where... Even though our, I think you had it on one of your articles too, Carl, where you were talking about uh, how the scientific method and our field report method seem to align fairly well. 
Yeah. But instead of being able to isolate variables, because you can never do that in this space, human relations are way too messy. You just have a bunch of people trying the same techniques. And if it if it's leading to a certain point, you can say with a certain amount of confidence that this is useful, this has utility, and this is more more true than not, I guess. Well, for me, it just comes down to that. The whole thing with the reason why the snake oil salesmen find a great market here is just as simple as men are desperate. Like a lot of guys, they come here and they just remove the gun from their mouth. Yeah. And that's kind of a visually arresting metaphor. So that aside, uh, they're desperate for anything. And if they find a guy who gets makes them feel good, they'll go with that instead of, you know, the guy who tells them, well, here's a ton of work you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's this weird thing. You can't, there is no other way to get there, but it's the least persuasive marketing technique to do so. Which I guess, in a sense, makes it almost like a, an audience version of a gatekeeping mechanism. We really filter for the kind of guy who's willing to put up with some short-term pain for long-term gratification. Well, for a lot of guys, they have to kind of work their way through it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... I kind of get that in any industry, you'll have less uh, moral, uh, what's it called, the suppliers of anything. Yeah. Like for every clothing store that does sustainable, there's uh, there's one that uh, has a factory in India where seven-year-olds are stitching together jeans. Oh, yeah. And what's that law? I want to say Goat's Law, the one where bad money always drives out the good. I don't remember that one, but... Uh, uh, Chesty, this is where we need you, buddy. It was based on the Roman coins. They uh, they tried to replace golden coins or silver coins with the less precious metal, and they were supposed to be equal value. And then what had happened is over the time, all the all the valuable coins were completely removed from circulation because people were just melting it down or whatever. And then all the cheaper coins ended up coming in. And it was it was a uh, a law that they found worked for just about anything. That if if there was an unethical and an ethical way to do anything. The unethical stuff would always push the ethical stuff out. I think you can see why that works because if you look at look at like an industry, yeah. If you have someone that produces under what we in the West would define as the minimum of uh, regulation and rules and good business conduct, yeah, they they will be crushed on price by a factory in Cambodia. Where they have children working under and taking huge risks with no safety precautions, no minimum wage, no uh, labor loss. Oh, agreed. And and over time, the company that does the unethical shit will make a higher return, so they'll be able to expand their business. While the company that does everything "quote unquote" right will lose money, so they won't be able to do as well. Realize too, we're almost making a case for virtue signaling on a corporate level. That being able to use that ethical thing as a marketing strategy is the only way to gain any type of competitive advantage over unethical people. Well, not even that, because like we just had fucking Pride Month. <laughs> yes, we did. And and you know, companies go from we support homosexuality, we're an equal opportunity company, we like your community during Pride Month to give us the money, faggot after. <laughs> Yeah, I actually took, my mom was all psyched for Pride. I took her down to that one. She viewed it. Every time she found a drag queen, she took photos with it. 
and it didn't bother me like whatever i don't really care it's just a parade the only thing that bothered me was that canada day was like a tenth of as important as pride week or as pride week was i don't know why that bothered me but that and the fact during canada day they still had the cn tower flashing the rainbow colors yeah for me it's just a matter of you know I don't like the call-out culture that we had some influx of either. Oh, yeah. I was just saying that, that I don't think that was the way ahead either when you were grabbing your drink. Yeah, I know, because I had my headset on so I could hear you. Well, aren't you fancy? But yeah, the gasification of the manosphere. I can, there's a term well, for it. <laughs> well, I, I do kind of I, – I appreciate the idea behind it, but I also don't like the idea of I'm going to call out everyone. And then I'm going to start pushing my own product on the back end. Oh, yeah. The and glorification. I, yeah, and I also don't really like the that it's become so much about ethos. Because you can say on some level, if you make your character a central part of your, of your sales strategy, right. then, then that becomes a fair point of attack, in my view. Yeah, well, if you're putting it out there, of course. Because if, if you're putting out there like you're a hard masculine guy and you do all this stuff and then we find out that you're doing a bunch of stuff that's more or less the antithesis of your message. Yeah. Don't own your own and, house, Legend of Zelda posters, all that nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Then at that point, you're just uh, at that point, it's not real. And you're not. Uh, what's the uh, term here? Uh, you're not living the life you say, and you, you're not living the life or doing the things you tell other people to do. Oh, the don't do as I do, do what I say? Yeah, that thing. Yeah. And it's also a case of if good content is what it takes to build a brand, that's a lot harder to do over time than to have good pictures of yourself doing cool stuff. Oh, it's way harder. And I've definitely learned that through experience, and I know you have. Like just watching you, just reading through your blog, it's what, it's probably about a million words there by now. Oh, and everything has numbers. Yeah, and everything has thought behind it. You don't have, there's not a lot of pablum. Nothing in there that's just putting words together for the sake of it. They all kind of underlie some experience with references to where it came from, connecting the dots and ideas that weren't together before. Like creating content isn't just about filling the page with word salad about love and feelings and pair bonding and all that crap. Like there's actually thought behind it and you're, it's hard. You are right. Every week I know on my red pill coffee or cooking videos, I actually have a hell of a time thinking of like, what topic can I pick without doing 10 reasons why masculinity is masculine or some stupid listicle or just watching what other people are doing and putting my own spin on it by regurgitating the language. Like it's not easy. I add to that too. If you want to fill a life that you actually be able to come at it, the content with some experience, as opposed to just, I read it in a book and here's what you need to do. Put those things together. I can, I can definitely see why people love just being the Instagram ass model of the manosphere then. Yeah. Well, I, I just pulled my blog stats here and yeah. it's uh, about half a million words on there. Plus about a hundred thousand in gender nomics and gender nomics too. Thanks, Nuggies. Yeah, so that's not nothing. Like, that takes time. I was gonna think, what's the average book on Amazon? About fifty thousand words. Fifty to eighty. 
So right there, you've got a 10-book library. That's like Christopher Hitchens-level writing, which I know he's kind of your hero, at least by the way you talk about him. Well, I, I like the guy because he had that... It's very rare that you find someone who's both an intellectual, well-read titan and actually has a set of balls. Like yeah. I usually joke around that between the four horsemen of atheism, like Dawkins, Dennett, Harris, and Hitchens, they had yeah. two testicles, and Hitch had both of them. <laughs> Dude, that's so accurate. Yeah, I'd put Feynman as the only other guy I can think of that fits that. He even yeah, had a game in the 50s. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the... But to get back a little bit to the point, though, it's once it becomes about Twitter marketing and copywriting and flashy Instagram pictures and stops being about the content... That's selling feelings. Oh, yeah, you're selling feelings instead of information. And it's not just it's not an it's not a binary either or thing, it's a proportion thing. Actually, that's a really good way of putting it. Because you're right, like this stuff resonates. If it didn't resonate, it wouldn't work. And so being able to use that to push dry content is easy. It was it's like a no-brainer. Yes, like Ed Latimore says, uh, come for the affirmations, stay for the crack jokes. <laughs> oh, I love Ed, man. <laughs> but it's the same thing. Like my Twitter feed is not nearly as well thought out or constructed as my blog is, or like what I do for these podcasts. But it's because I actually like to joke around and interact with the audience, and actually show that I'm not a red pill AI. Yeah, no, I agree, and that's. I actually had to that breathe through your balls guy, the one that uh, called out a lot of that stuff a couple months back. He was the one yeah. that kind of showed me like this is, this is just awareness. Like you're not here to sell things. You're not here to. This is not where you make content. This is just where you let people know you exist and what you're about. And you're right. If you if you start treating everything on there like a marketing pitch, it's going to be very inauthentic. I hate using the word, but very inauthentic. In reality, it should just be showing, hey, this is a human being, and here's. Here's the little quirks and the nuances that make him a regular person. That includes like your faults, like you were saying. This is what I came up from. These are the things I overcame. This is what I'm about. This is what I do. But that yeah, ultimately, it should be driving you towards the content. It can't be the it can't be the end of the content. And it's also I think it's also nice for kind of vetting uh, other content creators. Oh God, yeah. So because many guys I would have never thought to meet. Not just that, but if I throw a random joke at someone or a snide remark and they respond with a spurg out and a 14 uh, tweet thread, <laughs> tells that's you all you a need sign to know. That, Yeah, so you don't even have to respond to it because, okay, that told me everything I needed to know about you. And that comes with experience. Like, I'll admit, when I first started on Twitter, I didn't know head from tails. It took a while to map what I know of social interactions to how people act on Twitter, but you're right. Once you get a feel for it, it's an amazing tool for that. And I'm not saying to psychoanalyze people on Twitter and start to think about their uh, motivation. And, you know, this is because this person has this psychological deficiency because anyone who has a background in psychology and is actually qualified to diagnose people will never remotely diagnose. Never. I think that's one of like the ethical tenets of the practice. But that's how you can tell if someone is talking, if someone is banging on about psychology, but are constantly remote diagnosing and trying to dig into people's uh, 
personality and their motivations and so on on Twitter, that's a sign that they don't know psychology. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to give a quick shout out to Nova Roma. Thank you for the $9.99 super chat. I was deprived of a civil war because my mom took me out of the country. How do you deal with the guilt of missing out on war? Um, I'll do a quick one here and I'll pass it on to Carl. The guilt of missing out on war. Are you guilty that others that you didn't get to die or are you guilty like is a survivor's guilt or are you more worried that you didn't get that ultimate test of masculinity and that she took that away from you it's kind of hard to answer that question unless i know which direction you're going with that what do you think carl well i think you just have to figure out what kind of guilt it is is it like you say survivor's guilt that other people died and he didn't or is it uh, something else and if she, if your mom took you out of the country, how old were you? So because That's if his point. mom, because he would have had to have been under 18. Probably under 16. I could see if it was a civil war. They usually don't, I don't think they tend to quibble much in civil wars about guys being. Underage, no. Yeah. Yeah, Nova, I don't know. We, it, I'd love to give a good answer on that one. I'm assu if, assuming survivor's guilt, I hate to say it, but the only advice I've ever heard people give is just not to have it and they give a bunch of tools that can just rewire the mental models you got to realize that you're not that important in the grand scheme of things and that whether you were there or not the outcome wouldn't have changed but beyond that it's like i said it's hard to give an answer the way it is there yeah there's more it's kind of the ultimate test of masculinity in a sense mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also, it's got that randomness to it where you can't treat it as the ultimate test either. Because some things happen, you could be the manliest guy ever, do all the perfect things, and then a random bullet will just happen to hit you in the right spot. Or Like granted, those that survive will come out of it a hardened man. But there's never, even if you survive it, you could also be that extreme coward that just hid from action. Or you could be that guy that got lucky. Or you could be the guy that was good. There's almost no way to separate the three. No, and it's also the fact that, like, that's why I kind of liked uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because I agree with George R.R. R. Martin that um, our idea of what war is like has been romanticized, and especially wars in the Middle Ages. So everyone kind of pictures the, uh, you know, saving Private Riot and stuff. Oh, yeah, good guys. Be the big guys. Yeah. But no one is really like, okay, you're in Stalingrad and you're just going to stand here and prevent people from coming out. Or you're in, uh, you're part of a group that goes in and ethnically cleanses a Bosnian village. Or you, you're part of a Tutsi militia that are going after the, a Hutu militia going after the Tutsis in Rwanda and going killing women and children with machetes. Yeah. So it's always like this noble thing of two two team uh, two armies meeting on a field like it used to be back like in the day which it but never was no because after those two armies had done <laughs> each other on the field they'd go to the nearest village rape women pillage kill people there too not to mention the couple people that's job was just to walk around the fields and see anybody groaning in pain and just stab them so they die quickly yeah there was all kinds of things to it i don't yeah it's Honestly, I think the greatest gift we've been given is this post-World War II era of, of unmitigated peace. I really don't like that one as an idea of what makes, what makes us who we are. 
It seems to, it's almost too easy. Remember that? I think, it comes, it, it, I think it comes down to that. If you've been in a war, you get to call yourself a man no matter what. Yeah, which is true. Even if you were sitting in an Air Force base filing papers all day. Yeah. Well, that's that sheep looking for a shepherd thing. It's some external validation. Oh, you survived war. You got your medal. I got medals. I've never been shot at. Didn't make me any more of a man. Half of the guys in World War II were admin clerks, and they got medals as well. So, like, it's it's another symbol. It's LARPing. The problem is it's LARPing with blood stakes, so I can see why it's romanticized more than, you know, shooting guns or owning a truck. But at the same time, it's still the same root thing. It doesn't make you any bigger of a man. Can trauma replace war? That's a good question from Jack. I'd say it does, but I'd say it also has that same LARPing quality to it. Kind of reminds me that. What was that? No, I do think trauma has a. Because if you think about it, like being masculine, like I said, it's about going out into the world under risk and testing yourself to get what you want. Mm -hmm. And part of that is always going to be trauma. Right. Because you. But trauma is not a bad thing, it's a good thing because it forces you to grow. Like when you lift weights, you get micro trauma in your muscle that forces them to grow back stronger. You go out and do 10 approaches and get shot down 10 times and you come back from it. That makes you not just better at approaches, but more resistant towards rejection. I guess and my issue then is the, the association of the trauma with your identity. Maybe that's the nuance here. Yeah, that, that's one thing. If you're kind of wallowing in it or it's become your one defining characteristic, Reminds me of like in Austria, like in the pre-war days, like between 1920 and 1940, there was a fencing culture among male university students. And the most masculine thing you could have was to have a rapier scar on your cheek. Hmm. The guys even went to the point where they would cut themselves because they didn't want to duel. So they'd cut themselves just to have the scar. Jeez. Yeah, and Highborn, I didn't mean to to minimize the difficult, uh, not, like, when I say it's easy, I'm talking about the, the, I'm talking about the ability to build your masculine identity, not saying that it's a physically easy task. Also, Nova Roma, we see the $2 test. Thank you for the super chat. Test is, test confirmed. ZBZ5. Here's a little Navy parlance for you. Yeah, I'm just not sure if he's testing or if he's asking about TRT. Oh, well, it's TRT. I know it doesn't really fit into the episode, but use it if you need it. If you don't need it, don't use it. If you want it, what's your goal? If you want to get bigger and more swole, it's easier than doing it without. Still have to work your ass off. I don't know what more to add to that conversation. And by the way, Captain Pugwash, LARPing is it's short for live action role play. It's uh, something me and Ryan and a few others have taken to calling guys who role play as men instead of actually being so they have all the symbols they have the truck they have the truck nuts they have the gun rack they have the gun nuts and they have all the symbols that would signal to the external world that i'm a man but they have not really done any of the inner work required yeah they cut their cheek they didn't actually get it in a fencing contest exactly <laughs> All right, what are we doing? Oh, I guess we still got time. Um, we're you gonna. You think in ten thirty, or do you want to go all the way to eleven on this one? Well, we're not going on with the uh, rule zero until like eleven thirty, right? 
Oh, that's true. All right, we'll carry this to 11. I guess a good solid two hours. Waste your guys' Saturday morning. It's much better than any other podcast that wants to ruin your Saturday night, which should be your prime fucking time anyway. Just saying. Yeah, I'm not sure why anyone would do a podcast on Saturday night. <laughs> well, let me explain it to you. Get your crayons and cupcakes out, sir. <laughs> and let me explain the food to you. Oh, the food. <laughs> Yeah, I just find it to be a very strange time to have a podcast, uh, you know, unless you're not like you're gathering a bunch of guys to do cold shower burpee contests. Ooh, knuckle push-ups in the cold shower. I like it. I like it. Guys, we're going to have this, the next theme of the next podcast. Carl and I are going to get in the shower and do knuckle push-ups. It's like an ice bucket challenge, but for real men. So if you guys went in on it, hit that like button now. <laughs> I've already prepared the list of acronyms and adjectives you need to use when describing it. If you haven't seen us on Twitter, remember, gunpowder, whiskey, leather, tobacco, uh, trucks, nuts, testicles. Just take those, swap them together, put three together, and there you have your perfect marketing campaign. <laughs> oh, that's right. Jack's got his on the Friday evenings, too. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, I... I kind of understand why you want to do it at that time, but it's also like, what kind of guys are you sourcing? At least like when we do ours at 9 a.m. East, it's going to be kind of those guys who went out last night but didn't get so drunk that they're uh, still really, really hungover, or they're kind of like me and they can just do a podcast right after they stayed up until like 4 o'clock in the morning uh, screaming at people on Twitter. Well, yeah, the exact kind of audience would have the same lifestyle that would allow them to be up at nine in the morning on Eastern Standard Time. Maybe they got a workout going. Maybe they are able to work hard and play hard and then get drunk. But at the same time, it's not interrupting the kind of things they do in a day. Like now is not now is not when you have those lunch dates. You have your lunch dates after the episode. You have your evening dates after that. You swipe Tinder while you're watching the podcast and turn it off. If Stacy's like, hey, uh, can I come over for a minute? You're like, eh. I'm going to wait 20 minutes plus a random integer of 1 to 10 to answer to this one. Because <laughs> that's what men do. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's to get back to it, it's once you have that mental point of origin, you're actually able to start adapting things to fit your lifestyle. And I think that's the most important thing is you have to make this sustainable because anyone can go on a, like a three-week crash diet. Yeah. But staying on point with your nutrition over time requires that you build in some leeways to it. Like, because I have a couple of guys in my social circle who are really, really hardcore into bodybuilding. Right. They can do <laughs> Like, if you give them a call and you're like, hey, you want to grab a couple of beers? Can't, man, cutting. Like, you want to go grab a burger or something? Can't, man. Not enough protein, too many carbs. And, you know, fitting girls into that lifestyle. It's difficult. Kind of, well, you've limited yourself down to girls who are bodybuilders. Pretty much. I guess that narrows it down to uh, Kate and that's it. Actually, here, can I get you to carry for one second? I'm going to go to the, the bathroom quickly. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I'll... Uh... Yeah, I'm still kind of curious what happened with you and the dead fish girl there because uh, there were, that was kind of a soft breakup. But we'll get into that afterwards. But the way I see it, it's, um, it's more about once you have your desired end state and you find that by figuring out, mostly you find out things you don't like 
like if you date 10 different girls, all of them will have some traits you liked and all of them will have some trait that's a pain in the ass. So like if you think you like girls that know what they want who are a bit dominant and goal oriented and you date a couple of them, maybe you find out that's not really what you want and you really don't want to have one sample of a potential lifestyle. I mean, date 10, 15, like Ribellino has the 30-30 rule. Be 30 lace in and um, 30 years old before you make a long-term commitment. And that just comes down to have the experience and the discernment so you know what you don't want and what are the signs of what you don't want so that you have the ability to um, so you have the ability to figure out when a girl is manifesting those signs. Like for me, like I, I could never date a girl who didn't drink. Wouldn't trust her. No, I, I could date a girl who was a vegan, provided she'll cook meat for me. Hey, that's funny. That's what she's doing right now. <laughs> um, I guess uh, you were asking that question about the soft breakup stuff. I'll, I'll kind of tell you a story that should make the connection pretty clear when i first got to the married red pill back when i was still unfucking myself it was a co-ed space girls could come and do whatever they want they just had to understand rule zero like if your sensibilities conflict with male sexual strategy then the male sexual strategy has to give way and we found kate was there back then as was this other girl uh atlas she's a really cunty chick but point is you would find that they were all for it yeah guys should be lifting all the all the plow horse stuff you know all the things that were tasks that didn't affect women at all but gave them all the benefit yeah go lift get in better shape yeah lead your family go essentially run everything be the leader that stuff was great as soon as you got to my wife hasn't touched me in 10 years i'm gonna go and get some strange then it was like a bridge too far and so finally Kate was actually the reason that we banned girls from the married red pill because every time this one guy, Altmate Cad, who essentially had that, the girl was a bit frigid. She cheated on him and he decided to just go cold. He's like, you know what? I'm going to screw everybody in the neighborhood, but I still want to watch my kids being raised. So I'm going to do it discreetly. He just had put himself, he demoted his wife to plate and then kept forward trying to keep his family together as best he could. You could say right or wrong about it, but it was his thing. And she just wouldn't let it go. And so we found that there's just no way to put females into a male space and then still have it ultimately be for the benefit of men. There's always going to be that conflict. And once you have a certain amount of thirsty guys that are willing to placate that female opinion, the space is basically ruined. So we got good in the sense that we removed it. And it was the same thing there. And it's the same as I tell every guy, you have your boundary enforcement. Some things you just, you're not going to put up with. And then the only tools you have to enforce that are removing your attention, your affection, or your commitment. And in this case, it's a little microcosm of that. They weren't able to enforce our boundary, which was rule zero. And so we had to remove the attention and commitment from the space. You're out. So put it in that lens. That's pretty much what happened there. Not that it matters. She's still a great example of like the kind of shit testing women that guy have to deal, that guys have to deal with. And she was a perfect example of how to use a muse mastery and a bit of aloofness to get past that MGTOW argument that all women are bitches and they're not worth it. It's like they're, they just run their mouths. Don't even let it phase you. It's like a four-year-old calling you a poopy head. What are you going to do? Punch her in the face? Like, come on. 
That would be funny though. I, I was almost there earlier because there was like a single mom with four kids playing in the park outside. <laughs> oh, I heard the screaming. Yeah, and I was kind of hungover. And I was just trying to get some sleep. So it was about, well, if I hadn't gone through like four rounds of corporate anger management by now, I would have hung naked out that window screaming at her. Did you find those any good, by the way? I got offered one. I turned it down because I had conflict resolution from the military. I found that one kind of useful, but... Do you find well, the corporate I mean, ones were useful? Yeah, well, what I found was if you can actually sit through a corporate anger management seminar without beating the shit out of someone... <laughs> like, what motivates me to keep my anger in check now is not the techniques I got from the anger management seminar. It's not... So go back. ...for a fucking uh, anger management seminar. <laughs> grabbing victory from the jaws of defeat i love it i love it because like with me it's like i have i have a fairly long fuse but the explosion is fairly severe dude you and my brother would get along famously he is just like that it takes forever to get him angry but then once he gets angry he'll throw like a can of soup through a door <laughs> Yeah, I had to stop using wireless keyboards because I broke like six of them in a month. Damn. See, I always pop early. I pop early, I pop fast, and I get over with it. So I'm hoping that... I don't know which one's the better technique, but... Damn. Yeah, one of these days... Actually, that's the funny thing, too. I realized my brother and you, you guys are about the same size, the same weight, the same shape. He cannot grow a beard for the life of him, though. So you've got him beat there. That's a good thing. Yeah, I guess... That and the fact that he's got more injuries than you. His legs look like look like Frankenstein's monster with all the scar tissue from all the surgeries he's had to have. Well, that's kind of a classic, though, with guys who are really into contact sports when they're younger. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they get beat up. And it works until you're like 25. Because you don't bounce back right away. Yeah, so you end up playing. It's like wrestlers is the same thing. Like when you're young, you can kind of put up with the workload. Then as you get older, you need to start using more pills and more different things to kind of get through your work. And that's how you end up with substance abuse issues. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, the whole thing. And that's how the fallen alphas happen. Like I know, ah, uh, just screw it. I'll use names. When I watch AJ, no, like the guy we've hung out, he's been perfectly fine to talk to. He's a decent guy. Obviously, smells wonderful. He smells better than women. I'll give him that. But uh, when I see him giving long-term life advice, I have to keep in mind, like, he is still a guy in his 20s. And so a lot of the stuff isn't so much advice as it is wish. But I think that ties into this entire thing. Like, it's very... You can't take people too seriously because they haven't really earned the right to be taken seriously yet. And I think that goes for women as well as men. And that's one of those examples where... You don't want to chase perfection. In this case, you don't want to have a social circle of people that completely parrot your values. You don't want that perfect network of everybody is the alpha millionaire. Because A, it's never going to happen. And B, you miss out on so many good tools you get to learn about dealing and interacting with people. Somebody who's well-meaning but wrong. Like, do you want to just get mad and spurg out and ruin the relationship over that? Or do you just want to let it slide and let them learn the hard way? Same as... Uh, the guys with the injury. Oh, everybody wants to be that super sport jock that sleeps with a bunch of women, but at the same time, 
in 10 years, they're going to have nagging injuries and they're going to have what I refer to as fallen alpha where they used to be Chad, but then as they, as they age and get more injury prone, they kind of lose that, that oomph that allowed them to be that top 20% male. And then they are completely toolless when people are treating them the same way they treated the nerds in high school, they made fun of, and they have no idea how to act. And that's how guys end up, like you said, popping pills, being alcoholics, gaining a bunch of weight, just generally being unattractive. Like I watched my stepfather go through that in real time. Yeah, I think it's a really, like everything we do has consequences. And one of the things I've been trying to do as carefully as I can is that I try to avoid giving advice or prescriptions that puts a guy at high risk. So what that goes with is just like, I will never ever tell a guy to get married. Because from a purely objective standpoint, there is no additional upside from cohabitation. There is more downside. There's a lot of risk to your financial assets. You don't get much in terms of your kids uh, extra uh, over cohabitation. So if you are one of the lucky ones, whose relationships it doesn't end in divorce within three to seven years and who's actually happy in his marriage a majority of the time right that odds is so low that i cannot in good conscience tell guys to go for that it's like investing in a gold mine in africa and if that guy is actually at that point where he's going to get all those things he's not going to listen to random advice on the internet anyway oh a uh, quick shout out to pressure kid by the way two dollars super chat body weight versus free weight uh, if your body weighs more than the weight, use body weight. Otherwise, go the other way is my thought. I like free weights. Well, body weight, a lot for recovery. Like if you've had an injury, before you go back in the gym and start bench pressing, do push-ups. I like swimming for that same thing. It helped flush out the I – I talk like a chiropractor now, that flushing out the scar tissue, basically removing the soreness. But I can see body weights doing that same thing. Well, the reason for it is just that you're, you, it's very hard to injure yourself using just your body weight. Also true. And a lot of guys, when they get back in the gym, they don't think about the fact that I've just been out 12 weeks with an injury and they just load up the bar the same as they always do. Just ask them to get the re-injury. Yeah, so my whole thing is I want things to be sustainable and I want things to... Uh, yeah, shout out to Sam Boda, by the way, in the chat. Oh, yeah, there he is. Hey, Sam. Sorry, I should have said hi sooner. Dude, I love seeing your stuff, man. Where'd he go? All right, he's still on there. Uh, I guess back to the topic, though. What were we just talking about before the uh, the body weight stuff? Well, sustainability. And, like, my whole thing with it is if a guy comes to me and he's still not his own mental point of origin yet, I like to advise him to go out there and figure out what he doesn't like because finding out what you like is a lot harder than finding out what you don't like. Yeah. And every guy has like this archetype of the uh, type of woman he likes. It's yeah, usually it's whatever he got in his past. Well, that or it's an idealized version of it. So, and that's why I, like, I've dated women of every race i've dated really thin women i've dated fat chicks and i've kind of come to that like my sweet spot is you know bmi 23 to 25. i like the girls to be a little thicker 
Usually in the right places. <laughs> well, nobody just wants a nice girl with no boobs and a gut. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. that's hot. <laughs> well, it's kind of that's kind of the saddest thing, though, when you see those girls who are you see they're easily twenty pounds overweight, but they're eight cups and have no ass. <laughs> that's like when I see a guy who's six foot two and fat with a horrible bowl cut. I'm like, man, talk about wasted potential. But oh, was, uh, anyways, the whole point I was getting at was, and you know, it's about testing different things and see what you like. And then the same thing with personality traits. Yeah. Like some guys might be like, I want a girl who has her own shit going on and who takes control of her life and etc. But when they get into a relationship with her, they realize, okay, she's controlling. Or, you know, sometimes I like girls who are demure and feminine, but then they find that they need a girl who has a little bit more oomph to her and has her own preferences, not just your preferences. Yeah. Like, I and like a little bit of a fight in girls. I like, if I didn't have any arguments, I'd be bored. Yeah, you need a little bit of that. And, you know, one of the things I like a girl to be is uh, sexually curious and open. So she, she actually thinks it's fun to figure out new things and to try out new stuff. Yep. There's a trust, and that's the beauty of it, is a trust thing, too, so they have to trust you to go there. So it kind of puts you on point there to make sure your game is good to get the kind of personality traits you want. And a lot of these is just, uh, a lot of this is just figuring out what your particular preferences are like. Uh, some guys like intelligent women. I like, <laughs> be, I like a girl to be smart, but not too smart. Yeah. It's not an intimidating thing, either. It's just as you know what, I've never actually met genius level smart women. I've met smart women who are intelligence conscious. Like that midwit, I think was it Talib that said that? Midwits? The guys who are just smart enough to be insecure about how smart they are and so they have to constantly flex it. Men and women, I find that to be the most unattractive quality ever. And you'll pick it out. You guys will see it on Twitter. As soon as they start using synonyms for words that could have been easier explained... You know, for a fact, you got one of those types. Yeah, so it's just, but a lot of this is my personal preference, and you can go very deep into that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't play girls whose favorite wine is red. <laughs> the gray teeth don't do it for you? No, it's nothing to do with the teeth. It's just a matter of they, they have a preference about something they have no clue about. And that's the same thing with a lot of guys. Because they have this idealized image of the girl they want to meet. And it's usually like the Abish girl in a gingham skirt who's going to be a good, demure housewife and has a notch count as zero and worships the ground you walk on. But that girl doesn't exist. Yeah, God, no. And even if you ended up dating her, would you want to? Oh, you get bored. Guaranteed you get bored. The kind of girl that fills that narcissistic fantasy like that to be, at that point... And go get a sex doll. What you're basically looking for, a sex doll and an automatic cooking machine. Yes, like once they get to the point where sex dolls can cook, clean, and hold the conversation, I, I can see women becoming insecure. <laughs> you're becoming. I was thinking back, too, to your other thing, and it's I want to give a shout-out to HiSiv. He was, I love having him on Twitter because he's very... He's pro-marriage traditional, but he's not a trad con. But also the fact he's a lawyer means he's fairly articulate about his points too. And I think it's great to have him around his critique. 
And I remember when you were talking about your, you don't recommend marriage. And I was thinking about that because the argument that I always see made is that stupid, you know, that one statistic that everybody throws around where they found that guys who were married or the kids in married households did better than those who weren't. But the study yeah. was done so poorly. It was basically to reinforce marriage equals good. Everything else is bad. I think the best argument he made for marriage was that the legal hurdles you have to use to overcome paternity or to be like, get your, get your name on the, like become the father of the kid are backloaded as opposed to front loaded. So if you're a single guy or if you just cohabitate and you wanted to get married and you didn't want to get married, you actually have to go through some effort to get your paternity established beforehand, as opposed to the married guy who automatically gets it. But then during the divorce has to fight to remain in the kid's lives. Yeah, well, there's also the fact that there's a downside to that because if your wife gets knocked up by Tyrone, mm -hmm. then you're automatically the daddy. Also true. Well, that's the thing. You're right. There's that's why you can't get prescriptive advice because it's always, and this ties all of this stuff together. None of it. There's no hard and fast rules. They're always contextual. So right there, you're saying don't get married, and we can articulate eight or nine reasons why it's a bad thing. And then there's maybe eight or nine reasons that it's a good thing, but then there's some drawbacks to that. At the end of the day, you come to the conclusion that I can't recommend it. But if guys don't look as into why you're not recommending it, all they think it is is that you're scared of women or some crap. Well, it's it, you can always tell when guys go to the emotional shit or the character attacks. Like that's the funniest thing to me because like I'm anonymous. The oh yeah, they don't work on you. Well, the only thing people know about me are things I've said. But then again, I could be lying. I wouldn't I, respect you if you weren't lying about a few personal details just to poison the well. But the funny thing is, uh, guys still make personal attacks and character attacks on me. Because that's the only thing they can do because they don't have a logical bone in their body and it's all emotion. And the worst part is you're getting... You're, at least for guys like me, you can be like, is that something they see in me? But for you, you 100% know that they're projecting their insecurities as if they're your insecurities. So it really gives you like a wonderful piece of ammunition. You just found the thumbscrews of everybody who's arguing with you. Yeah, the thing is, I, I don't necessarily want to argue about things because most of the time when you have arguments in this space, it doesn't take the form like scientists used to do before you had voice chat and phones. Yeah. Where they write each other long letters in critique. It's always like drive-by Twitter shit or, you know, either personal attacks or emotional appeals and that type of stuff that it's persuasive when it's done and performed, but it holds no logical or objective value. Yeah, zero value. All it is is uh, tribal reinforcement. Yeah, yeah my, my dad can beat up your dad. You know, at least when you go to the point where it's when you, when you point out that this guy is spreading one message and doing something completely different, that affects his credibility and his judgment for what his... Because if his advice was so great, why isn't he doing it? Good point. It's I guess you can even take that two ways. One, either the advice is no good and that's why he's not doing it, or the advice is good and he can't do it. Neither one's a very good look. No, and it's, it's the same thing I have with when you have guys who, on one hand, they say that they're millionaires. On the other hand, they're selling consulting for 100 bucks an hour. 
Like, if you're really a millionaire, would you sell consulting for a hundred bucks? Like courses, I can see. Yeah, because they're scalable. They're scalable, and it doesn't take a lot of your time. Same with books. But consulting hours—that's selling your time for money. Mm -hmm. And a hundred bucks an hour for a millionaire seems very low. Dude, even for me, I found once they started once they started coming in fast and heavy, I couldn't do anything else. Because that hour of time is also half an hour of prep beforehand and 15 minutes of winding down afterwards. That hour turns into two hours. And I was doing them at 100 a pop for the longest time until I realized, like, I can't do videos. I can't write content. I can't finish the book. I can't do anything else but these. So you have to raise your prices. So I have a hard time believing anybody's making more money than me and still charging $100 for them. And I am not earning my $100,000 corporate job level salary on this base. This is a labor of love. So you're right. There's... It's the, and this is the best thing because you're saying it too. Like, do things, experience them yourself, and report your notes. Well, I'm telling you right now, my field report at a hundred dollars a consult, the guy is lying. There's no way he's making over fifty thousand dollars a year, even. No way. No, so I don't even have to look at the numbers. <laughs> no, but for me, it's about when you're Adam, like I am, and like a liberal man, and so on. Yeah, yeah. The only thing guys value, have to value you on is your content and the effects it has or the insight it gives them. Right. But when you're uh, selling T-shirts, what you're selling is tribal membership. 100%. It's not like T-shirts are the ultimate fashion accessory. And, you know, I, I kind of get the hustle. I like, but that's the funniest thing to me, though. The fact that people are using Hustler and respect the hustle and so on. And Hustler used to be a guy who was out to uh, fleece you. Actually, yeah, pretty much. So they're pretty much telling you straight up what's going on. You guys are still buying into it. Well, you know, for, for a lot of guys, I, I can understand it because like, you know, it's very easy when you found kind of your point to origin and you decided what you want and the lifestyle you want to live and you just live that. It's easy to kind of look back and um, think that, oh, it was so easy, but it's not. It takes a lot of trying and failing. And no one can give you a blueprint to a lifestyle you find to be enjoyable. Right. And you try and adopt the lifestyle of another man, but that's often tailored to a mixture of his preferences and things he's been told by other people. So in the end of it, what are you getting out from that? How can you figure out it's uh, like that thing in Fight Club with the uh, Ikea furniture? Oh, yeah. Made by the tribal people of wherever. <laughs> like you kind of paid cool. lip service to that whole authenticity of it, but you don't even know what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing with, and I think that's one of the things I like with, uh, well, let's see, Fight Club was a collection of who was it who wrote uh, American Psycho? Oh, I don't remember the name of the author on that one. But the thing with it is, the whole thing that I find very, like, a subtle thing, if you read the book as opposed to watching the movie, is mm -hmm. you realize how Patrick Bateman's identity is entirely constructed by his possessions and the symbols he has. Yep. It's the Oliver people's glasses, the suits... Uh, the dinner is at Dorcia, and everyone around him is the same thing. And once you read that book, it becomes very hard to see identity as anything other than 
something that is constructed. But when you realize identity is something that's constructed, then you start to realize that it can be constructed from two different areas, internally or externally. You can either construct your own identity based on your own held values and thoughts, or you can construct your identity based on what society tells you it should be. And it's a negotiation between those two because it, partially you're going to have to do some things that society wants you to do as part of your identity, and everyone does that. But it becomes a proportion thing again. It's like I said, you can have a Twitter feed that's 70% selling, 30% value content, or you can have one that's 70% value content, 30% selling. And the following for that is going to be different because it has to do with personal preference. But in the end, you have to kind of get to the point where what other people think is less important to you. And you always ask yourself the question, okay, would I want this? It's, uh, I'm reminded of Hulk Hogan back in the day. <laughs> I, don't think my, I don't think my character would do that. And, um, so that's for me with mental footwork. Just start working on it and get the experiences under your belt, figure out what you like, uh, figure out what you don't like, most importantly, and try new things, like move to a different city. Yeah, uh, go go fail and fail fast. Learn what you don't want, and then whatever's left is clearly what you do want. But the important thing with learning what you don't want is to not incur too much of a cost for that learning. So divorces, um, well, divorces, getting fired, fucking up your education. Like the guys who decided to drop out of their uh, university programs to go live with mystery in the Hollywood Hills and run game. Not the right move. Yeah, I agree. I was going to tap onto your thing with another little story, though. I was thinking when you're talking about building your identity from yourself versus externally, I love the stolen valor types that in the military example for this. And this is where, when you're talking about people constructing their identity and being able to tell when somebody's deceptively constructing it. Um, I know for military guys, like your uniform has a very particular way it's done up. And there's regulations, there's a manual for it. Everybody reads it, everybody gets to know and recognize the pattern so that if something is out of place, you automatically spot it. And I think this is a goal that guys should have when it comes to detecting deception. Like if I see a guy in a uniform, but he's got hair coming and touching his ears there, I already know that he's not in the military, even if he's wearing a uniform. Cause like, there's no way in hell your boss would have let you got away with that. That's not a regulation haircut. Or if uh, your medals are out of order, or if your SSI is on the wrong side, or your name tag is missing, or your epaulets aren't connected. There's like so many, when you come about building identity, there's so many little markers that come with somebody who earned that identity. In the case I'm using here, like joining the military and serving. There's so many little indications and markers that the only people that would not know are those who aren't there. So I don't know what the masculine identity equivalent is, but I think it's like you said, you'll know it when you see it. And the more masculine things you have under your belt, the easier time you're going to have detecting somebody who doesn't have them or is missing certain parts of them. Like if you're a real man who does manly shit, you shouldn't have to Photoshop your face onto pictures of men from other movies to show how man you are. No, I For example. Because myself and uh, Mr. Rockwell had a conversation about this too. Because it's very easy to spot guys who are lying 
about their business side. Mm -hmm. Because for, uh, best example, if someone says they're making six figures off consulting, it's very easy to kind of figure out roughly how many hours they have to bill every year to get to that revenue level at given if they're charging 100, 200, 300, 400. And once you get an idea of that, you can either go, okay, well, if they're charging 400 an hour, at that point, you could hire virtually any high-end consulting agency. So why would you hire a boutique shop instead of right. hiring McKinsey or Bain or one of the big ones? Yeah, and if you're only charging 100, then there's just not enough hours to fill that much income. I would argue it's even more, Pranesh, you don't even have to do that math. Because I think you even said this. Once you start talking about, I have a six-figure business, people who have businesses don't talk about it that way. They'll say like, yeah, I'm in six figures revenue or I pull this much profit. Like they're very, there's a language to it and there's little subtle differences in the way they describe these things that lets you know when somebody's actually in that space and when somebody's not, which is hard to do if you're not in that space yourself. But if somebody's actually done these things, it's very easy to detect. Yeah, because every place, every avenue of endeavor for humanity has its own tribal language. Yeah. Like it's very easy to tell a guy who's been in the military from a guy who's not because they have a particular way of talking about things. It's easy to tell someone who works in, uh, in law, in consulting, in accounting, because they have a particular tribal language that has nuances. Like the differences between, let's say, an accounting consultancy and an IT consultancy, there's overlap, but there are also some very marked differences. Yeah. And you can see that with dress code. Like, if I were to meet someone who uh, was supposed to be an IT professional and they showed up to the meeting in a full three-piece suit, I'm going to assume that they're not any good. Right. Because tech people don't dress that way. Like the good techs don't. And good techs can get away with dressing however the fuck they want because they're very, very rare. Super rare. But that's the thing. They're not selling you on the, uh, like lawyers need to sell you on that ethos a little bit. That intimidation, I could do something in a courtroom. But you're right. The IT guy, he sells you on, I'm going to keep all this shit running and I'll dress the way I want to and I dare you to fire me. Yeah, but the, the sad thing about it is, to be honest, is like the guys who really need to be able to spot this are often not able to spot it. So when they hear the claims of, yeah, I make, uh, like uh, Dennis DeMori, I think is his name. Uh, he said my Twitter feed had like a great point today and I decided to kind of pile on with him. I'll just pull the... Uh, pull the I was going to say, send me a link. I want to see this guy. Yeah, I'll uh, link you to him. But uh, he's one of those make money online guys, but he seems to actually be one of the... <laughs> he actually makes money? <laughs> Yeah, because he had a great one. Uh, okay, I can't find the tweet right now, but uh, he had this um, point that what a lot of these six-figure guys will do uh, is that um, they'll they'll make eight grand in a month, and they'll just do eight grand times twelve, even though they're in January, and assume they're going to have that revenue for the whole year, and they'll say, "Oh, I have a six-figure business." And then they'll take that 100K and they'll add a multiple of 10 to it and be like, oh, my business is worth a million dollars. Oh, that's a lot and, of number fudging. Yeah, and what happens there is 
they're just assuming that their projections will be reality. And then they're doing evaluation based on a multiple that no one would ever buy a business for. Like times four on revenue is usually what people go for. So uh, that's kind of the, and you know this if you've actually worked in that space. It's the same thing. Everyone knows that the uh, 300 pound guy who says he runs a five minute mile is full of shit. Yeah. If they've actually tried know how long it takes to run a mile, every guy knows that the guy who's like, yeah, I benched 300, but he looks like the heaviest thing he lifted was his 12 pack from Duncan. You can kind of know because the exaggeration isn't even realistic. It's very hard to tell the guy who benches 200 and says he benches 230. Oh yeah. You'll never, even bone density. That's the other thing. A little thing, a bone density. You'll see a guy who just doesn't have the frame to even lift that stuff, but you won't know that until you've actually lifted and gained that bone density. So it's, uh, and a lot of times I think if guys had, um, if they had uh, the experience, they would know. And if they weren't desperate, they would know and they would be more discerning. But when you get the combination of not being your own mental point of origin, being in a desperate position, then someone who offers you a perfect roadmap to becoming a great person, even if they can't deliver on it, seems like a great offer. So with no gatekeepers, with no gatekeepers. That's I guess that's really the key, the same thing you started this with. That, that us as gatekeepers haven't done our job properly, and that's kind of on us. Yeah, but at the same time, though, it's I, I get because one of the main reasons why I hate that role is because it, you get a lot of annoying conflict that takes away from creating content. Fair. Because what happens is even if you call out like a 300 follower account or a 3,000 follower account, you're going yep. to have that guy who's seeing his income is threatened. And you're going to have his uh, flying monkeys uh, adding on to it. And you're just going to have your mentions shit up for days. And then you go to block them. Because I think the ultimate boundary enforcement on Twitter is blocking someone. <laughs> yeah. I love doing that now. I used to hate it. I never liked the idea. But ever since some guy is saying that's how I won because he blocked me, I'm like, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> well, the thing is, you can't punch someone in the face over the internet, but I'm pretty sure like if, if someone could come up with a product that would let you punch someone in the face over the internet. Oh, they'd be a billionaire and the world would be, the population boom would be over. Yeah. And you would have a much nicer internet. Well, how is that put with Americans where, uh, everybody being armed makes a politer society? Yeah. Well, I'm not this, I'm not, I don't disagree with that to be honest with you. Oh, same. Dueling culture. I remember it was a lot of good things to be said about dueling culture even. Yeah, same thing with, you know, if if every guy was, if every person was concealed carrying, you probably wouldn't pick a fight. Unless you're ready to be shot at. Yeah, unless you really meant it. But on the other hand, you, you also get kind of the Texas thing, and it was the most Texas news story I've ever read. Because the headline was, Armed robber shot by all the customers. <laughs> and if that's not the most Texas thing ever, I don't know what is. That's too funny. That, yeah, the only way that could be more Texas was if the shooting was in a steakhouse. <laughs> all right. 
Well, I think that's a high note. Let's end this off. We got 25 minutes that we're heading over to Rule Zero. It's on Rolo's channel, I heard. Is that true? Yeah, it's on Rolo's. All right, guys. So uh, Chesty just threw that in the chat there. We'll see you guys there in 25 minutes. All right, take care.